Welcome to the Growing in Grace podcast, where you can listen in on some casual conversation about the good news of Jesus without all of the inconsistent religious double talk. If you've ever struggled with feelings of hopelessness, guilt, and despair, or wondered if you're really right with God, it's time to discover the true freedom that comes with the gospel of unlimited and overflowing grace. Here's the story of a man named Breezy. Because nobody could pronounce his real name. <laughs> I'm Mike Gaffler. That's Joel Breezeke right over there. The Breeze Man. How you doing, Joel? Oh, man. Doing good. It's the truth. I mean, all my life long, um, the phrase that I've used <laughs> is that my name has been murdered by a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone else use that years and years ago about their own name. And it just stuck with me. I thought, yep. <laughs> like, so someone will say, uh, boy, I bet you get a lot of, I bet you get a lot of different pronunciations on that. I said, yeah, it gets murdered quite a bit. So, but because <laughs> the way that it's spelled and the way that it sounds not necessarily uh, the same. <laughs> maybe, maybe the quarterback, uh, Drew Brees, maybe he's got a totally wild last name and he just gave up <laughs> on it too. See, I've thought about that too. There's a, uh. A lot of times where I've thought about the, uh, just changing it just to breeze. And then there's a, uh, when I used to be a courier out in the country, I drove, I would drive by a house out in the country where on their, they had the name of their farm. I think it was a farm. But anyway, B-R-U, brew, or brew, I don't even know if you pronounce it brew. Brew? I suppose that would be brew. But that was it. Three letters. I said, that is just like so simple. Just take the first three letters of my last name and it would be so simple. But um, yeah, you know, we we could have done that in radio. As it turned out, we chose your middle name to be your right. last name because it sounded like a last name. That's right. Yeah, Summer. My middle name is Summer, with an O S O M M E R, and we made it Summers. So Joel Summers. Yeah, I suppose my... in Christian radio we would have been criticized if you'd went with Joel Brew because people would have thought of B, <laughs> yeah. and they would have you know judged you for that. <laughs> Probably. In fact. Because of the way that my name looks, my nephew out in California, he is for the last probably 15 or more years has been calling himself Brewski. He just says his name is Bru- his last name is Brewski because it looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he, so he calls himself that. But we had a, I probably shared this maybe a long time ago, but we lived in England when uh, I was a kid. My dad was a pastor over there. We, so we were there for four years. And the entire four years that we were there, the guy who did the weekly announcements, he would say Reverend Bruziki. I mean, that, mm. the whole four years. No one ever corrected him. <laughs> so it was always the Reverend Bruziki will be doing this or is whatever. So, But that's just what you get when you get a weird last name. It's German. It's a German name. So it had the ah. it had the U with the umla on you know, the two dots over the U without the E in its original form. Ah, interesting. In case anyone's interested. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I've, I've always thought names were kind of weird. I mean, how, how did, you know, especially last names, how, how did they get started over all these years? And where did they all come from? I've, I've never really studied that. I've just in, the, in my mind, I keep thinking, boy, that's that's an unusual name. I wonder. I wonder where that originated. At I mean, who who came up with that? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you know what your last name means, Kapler? 
if I did, I forgot it, but that's not unusual at my age. I mean, Joel, at, at my age, I never met a musical I didn't like. Let's put it that way. I, I, well, I know it's got a German background. Well, I was just curious because mine, uh, from what I was told when I was younger, Brieseke, uh means windy corner. <laughs> no clue what that even means. <laughs> I don't even know what the meaning of my name means. What do you mean when you say windy corner? Well, Windy Corner. I, I could go places with that, but <laughs> I know. let's not do that. <laughs> and people have. They've murdered it <laughs> over the years when I tell them that. But we digress. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, know. Hey, something we haven't talked about for a while. By the way, we're on those series called False Assumptions, uh, probably... I don't know, for the last five or six weeks, maybe. One thing that we have talked about a number of times over the years is um, the, the teachings of Jesus in general, but more specifically, one that's very popular that is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. So because it's got its own uh, nickname, the Sermon on the Mount, um, it is sometimes considered by much of the church world as kind of a, a pinnacle teaching of, of Jesus, as, as he's kind of starting out his ministry. Um, he is saying some things in there that most people assume are new Christian teachings for us to adhere to. Uh, and we have talked about this in the past. In fact, we kind of almost did a, a whole series that lasted close to 20 weeks, yeah. I think, mm -hmm. on why Jesus taught two covenants. And I think the Sermon on the Mount was a big part of that. And um, Matthew 5 through 7, generally speaking. And um, I think where we've come at from this, uh, and, and this goes way back to when you and I were first crossing the, the Grace Bridge, Joel, many years ago, nearly, nearly three decades ago, we started learning about some of this stuff. Um, but you see, if you have the, first of all, if you have the assumption that Jesus is always talking to you. I've heard that before. I've heard that taught from the pulpit before. Mm -hmm. If he's talking to his disciples, that means he's talking to us. Uh, it's got red letters in many of the Bibles that show Jesus talking. So we know something different is going on here with the Son of God who shows up on the scene compared to, you know, for example, the Old Testament. Uh, so something different is, is going on here in our minds on how this is laid out in, in these pages. And so this assumption that Jesus is talking to us, that he's got this new Christian teaching now um, that is being passed along to people from this point forward, um, that, that can cause a lot of confusion when Jesus, uh, because in our Bibles, I'll mention this, in our Bibles we have this thing, at least most of us do, called the New Testament page. Uh, that is laid there before the book of Matthew. And so we assume that this is crossing a whole new threshold uh, compared to the old covenant uh, that Israel was under. And now Jesus shows up, and we get this in our head, I think, that when Jesus was born, this is really the New Testament. This is really the, the beginning of the new covenant, when really the new covenant didn't begin until the death of Jesus, not his birth. So what we've got here is Jesus, the man walking the earth as the son of God, but human. And he is still, the, the, the old covenant, that first covenant, is still in place. The Jewish people still under that law of commandments. That is how they were trying to seek God's 
well, let's put it this way. This is how they were trying to seek righteousness. Really, it was their own righteousness through what they did, through a set of rules and commandments, and nobody could attain to it, right? They pursued it, and they got nowhere with it. They were spitting into the wind. And so we think that when Jesus is talking all the time, that this is all new Christian teaching stuff that he's passing along to you and me, and that is often, often not the case. Right. Yeah. And there was a reason why Jesus came teaching the law. I mean, there were, for one thing, we know that what Paul said in Galatians was that Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So he had a ministry to those who were under the law. Uh, Jesus himself said uh, a couple of times during that earthly ministry of his that he had come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, of course, in a broader sense, he had a ministry that was going to be for the world. I mean, obviously, his death on the cross and his resurrection was ultimately for all people. Anyone can receive new life in Christ by faith through what he did. But this ministry, the law had been given by God fifteen, approximately 1,500 years before Jesus walked the earth. And several reasons why Jesus needed to teach it. For one thing, the Pharisees were going out and about teaching the law in in a wrong manner, and Jesus was correcting a lot of what they were saying and doing. And in order for him to fulfill the law, which he had come to do, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to go against it. Not to he, he himself didn't abolish it. We've talked about this too. He didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Later on, through the cross, it was abolished, as it says in Ephesians 2, but Jesus had to fulfill it first. If, if he would have abolished it, if he would have come to abolish it, he couldn't have fulfilled it. So he had to fulfill it, and the people had, of Israel had to understand the true law, the true intent of the law, and what the law really said. And you'll find that in a lot of what Jesus talked about when he went to talking, whether it was to his disciples, who were all Jewish and were under the law, and in other cases when he talked to other people, with the Pharisees, the scribes, and other people who were under the law, Jesus talked law talk to them. His law talk was not intended for people who weren't under the law. And we know for sure that in Christ, nobody is under the law. It's my contention as well that Gentiles, non-Jews, were never under the law in the first place. And so as you, as you start off, well, actually, turn your Bibles to Matthew <laughs> chapter 4. The, the, so the, at the end of chapter 4 of Matthew, I think this is where a lot of people get the idea that Jesus was talking to everybody. Um, it talks about how Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Um, his fame went throughout Syria. They brought to him all uh, sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So there were Gentiles who were among those who were following Jesus. <coughs> and, and so this is right before uh, this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. But you get to... The beginning of chapter 5, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened up his mouth and taught them, 
saying, and then here begins the, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So he saw the multitudes, but when he saw them, he went up on a mountain, and you see, like, in this is what my first image of the Sermon on the Mount was the made-for-TV uh, series, Jesus of Nazareth, and you see him walking among all these people everywhere, and a lot of depictions of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see Jesus walking among the people. Well, here it says, he sat down and his disciples came to him. That's where that's the scenario of the Sermon on the Mount. And he opened his mouth and taught them. So we can see that everything he's saying there is for his Jewish disciples. So everything that we see here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 uh, is directed at the disciples. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's easy to not think some of this stuff through. Uh, Jesus went further away from the multitudes to get away, as he often would do. But he, he wanted to teach his disciples. I mean, that's what the Bible says right there, as you said in, in Matthew 5. The, the other thing I just wanted to, to highlight here real quick when you referred to uh, Galatians 4, where Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. Uh, to for, for what purpose? To redeem those Jewish people who were under that law. He didn't he wasn't born of a woman, born under the law, to bring Gentiles into it. Right. <laughs> he was trying to get the Jews out of it. Right. He wasn't trying to get the Jews out of it while bringing the Gentiles into it, like what you might hear in the world of the church universe. Perfectly said, um, yeah. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, and the entire thing from that point forward, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and 7, uh, the, the entire thing is, is really based upon the law. And what Jesus is trying to uh, explain to his disciples here who are under that law is ultimately that you are in a hopeless situation if you are going to try to get to God by trying to keep the works of that law. Because it all came together as one package. Nothing could be added to it, the book of Deuteronomy tells us. Nothing could be added to the law, and nothing could be taken away from it. And yet, this is what people do all the time today. Most people don't know what's in that package of 613 commandments, rules, and statutes. <laughs> right. Very few <laughs> would even come close to knowing, uh, unless they were you know, just going out of their way to study it somehow. Uh, and even then, it's not likely they would really understand all of it. Um, and so, what we have here is a situation where Jesus is trying to show them, you can't do this. This law isn't, you, 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 first of all, you, you got to do all of it if you're going to do it. And at the end of Matthew 5, he said, you're going to have to do it perfectly. You're going to have to be as perfect as a father in heaven himself. Um, and, and so, he was leaving them not with a message of encouragement, but one of, um, despair, uh, one of hopelessness, because that's what the law would would bring for people. It would, you know, put them in this place of a sin consciousness and and feeling like, well, what do I need to do here? How can I be sure? Just like the rich young ruler, how can I know? What do I have to do? Really, what do I have to do? Uh, and Jesus is explaining to them throughout uh, Matthew five, one thing after the other. If you sin, you're going to have to cut off your hand. Uh, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, you're going to have to pluck it out. Uh, if you're going to try to live by this law, these are the things that are going to burden you. Yeah, ex exactly right. That's really what it was about. And maybe next week we can um, hit some of the highlights uh, of from Matthew five, six, and seven, just to explain a little bit more where we're coming because uh, where we're coming from. Because you'll you'll see that a lot of things that Jesus said in this Sermon on the Mount and in other places kind of, uh, I was going to say contradicts what Paul said, but perhaps it would be better said that 
uh, what Paul said in his epistles seems to contradict a lot of what Jesus said. But we'll look more into this, and you can see that really the things that Paul said were New Covenant talk, whereas what Jesus was saying here was Old Covenant talk. So as we continue our false assumptions next week, we'll get into a little bit more of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll see where else this false assumption series leads us in the weeks to come on Growing in Grace. This has been Growing in Grace with Mike Kapler and Joel Brzezinski, heard online through various internet sources around the world each week. Access past programs by visiting growingingrace.org. Share it with a friend and listen again next week for more Growing in Grace.